Appamada's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. Well, good morning. Wonderful to see that everybody on screen. It's wonderful to have so many people here. I was expecting some kind of snow apocalypse again this morning, and thank heavens that's not happened yet. And so things are proceeding in a joyful way. And that's my theme for this morning: joy and the factors of awakening, and how those are all available to us. So I'm gonna start on that. Before, I want to say how much I appreciated Kim's talks and I, how much I've appreciated the chance to give these talks on these uh, subjects. Um, I once heard Steven Weinberg, the Nobel winning uh, physicist, a professor at UT, say that uh, whenever he wanted to learn about something, he would sign up to teach it. Uh, and I have learned so much in the process of just a couple of days uh, from preparing the talks, certainly, but but really more from the interactions and from the from the very powerful things that people have shared that have been evoked by these teachings. So, but I want to say also that giving three talks in two days is a bit much. For me. So, um, it's been a, a factor for me. So the the uh, uh, joy awakening factors, and then finally the the Dharma gate of repose and bliss. Uh, I want to bring in some Zen teachings as well as Satipatthana teachings today. Uh, the Satipatthana Sutta extends a series of invitations, offering methods for step-by-step -step investigations of questions such as. What can we know of and through our bodies when we stop to pay attention to moment by moment experience? Another question, what can we learn from the shifting nature of our perceptions, the way they arise and they cease, and the way that they, uh, that we bring in the Vedanas or the, the Vedanas come and sweep over us for, for perceptions of pleasant, unpleasant and neutral. Uh, the, the effective tone. What is the effective tone coloring my perceptions right now? And then a question such as, how is my mind? We are given signposts to figure on or to, to, to focus on uh, in the meditations. Sensations in the body, automatic leanings toward grasping or aversion in the Vedanas, lust or anger in our mind. Those are two of the things that are named and the way that all phenomena arise and pass away continuously. Gradually, we are invited to look at the broader landscape around those signposts to see uh, eventually that our minds are open and free and that we are developing qualities that, that are related to the Brahma Vihara, such as equanimity. Uh, we find that we can have repose in our meditation when our minds inevitably wander off and maybe 
maybe even get a little anxious about that. Um, but we can find repose in the joy of finding ourselves alive and awake in the present moment. And this simple discovery can help us when we get tired or discouraged or meet another bump in the meditative road. Uh, and we can actually find too that joy is always available to us, even, even if we're not seeking it uh, in meditation, if we, don't, if we simply don't always attach joy to getting what we want. There's no explicit mention of compassion in the instructions for Satipatthana's uh, meditation, but as Bhikkhu Analayo uh, points out, and some uh, neuroscientists confirm, the method involved in Satipatthana meditation evokes subtle background connections among the parts of our brain that uh, improve our ability to read communication cues from other people and to connect with feelings and thoughts of others and to connect with the beauty and grandeur of the world and move us toward compassionate action, even though without explicitly stating it. The way the Buddha presents all these ideas is matter of fact. There is nothing supernatural about it. There's not even anything holy or special about it. It's just matter of fact statements. Do this, see what comes up. There are challenging requirements. We have to be keen and have an ardent interest. And we have to have energy and we have to have open receptivity as well as a balanced and unbiased capacity for observation. Then, as Analia writes, we are called to diligently contemplate internally and externally. Clearly know arising and passing away. Be mindful just for the sake of knowing and mindfulness. And remain free from desires and discontent so as to dwell independently without clinging to anything in the world. He adds, a further condensation for actual practice could simply be keep calmly knowing change. Here keep, he says, reflects diligence in exploring the internal and external dimensions of practice. The need to remain free from desires and discontent and the ability to dwell independently without clinging are summarized in the qualification calmly. Mindfulness, just for the sake of continuous dwelling with mindfulness, furnishes the foundation of clearly knowing, which as a general quality relevant to all Satipatthana practice has as its main task the recognition of change. He writes further, the last spoke in the wheel of Satipatthana practice presented here is the contemplation of the awakening factors, which are mindfulness, desire for investigation of dharmas, for finding out what's really going on, desire for that, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, equipose. And uh, Ellen explicated that term equipose the other day. The instructions for meditation uh, on these factors of mindfulness is, is this, is mindfulness present within me? 
and then for, to do the same for the other factors? Or is a desire for investigation of dharmas uh, present within me? Or are, is it not present within me? So all of them. Um, and here's my final quote from Analio. <clears throat> An important implication of the very presence of these seven awakening factors in our own mind is that it testifies to our capacity to awaken. However weak these awakening factors may be at present, through sustained cultivation, they can be made to grow and become stronger. This, in a way, serves as a complement to our insight that body, feeling, and mind are empty, that they are not something we can truly own. At the same time, we do own something rather precious, the potential to awaken. Let me read that again. An important implication of the very presence of these seven awakening factors, and I would say implication of every step along the Satipatthana path, from feeling the skin covering your body to these seven awakening factors. An important implication of their presence is in our own minds is that it testifies to our capacity to awaken. However weak these awakening factors may be at present, through sustained cultivation, they can be made to grow and become stronger. This in a way serves as a complement to our insight that our body, feeling, and uh, feelings and mind are empty, that is changing all the time, empty, empty of any static, fixed uh, place or self or anything like that, uh, but that they are and, and because of that, they are not something we can own. At the same time, we do own something rather precious, the potential to awaken. So I'm, I'm looking at Ellen on the screen right now because I've been in a group with Ellen uh, over the last couple of years and many other people as well, but particularly Ellen as a leader. Uh, it is, uh, we meet on Wednesdays and it's called Zazen and Sharing. And um, in 2021 and 22, we were reading the book. Um, yeah, Training in Mindfulness, right? Compassion. Training in Compassion. Thank you, Norman Fisher's book, Training in Compassion. And uh, I want to read what he says about one of the parts of one of the slogans. The slogan is, take on the three principal causes. And the three principal causes don't sound like causes to me, but just follow along with me here. It says, take on the three principal causes. Of the three principal causes, the first is find a good teacher. No one can do mind training alone. The training implies a community of friends to commiserate with and encourage you and a guide or guides to help. Community is a crucially important, it is crucially important for our lives. We all crave it, even though it goes against the grain of our heroic American can-do frontier spirit, which we persist in believing in, even in a global world. My apologies for American chauvinism in the middle of this talk here. The spirit of self-reliance is good, yet community remains essential. No one can live without it. In times gone by, community meant neighbors and co-religionists. These days, community is both narrower 
and much broader and more various than that. Community is less built in than it used to be and more dependent on our own initiative and choice. For example, connecting with people thousands of miles away for a, a, a Sunday morning and a, and a few days to contemplate special kinds of approaches toward mindfulness. He goes on, teachers are an important part of our community. It's not important that our teachers be great or enlightened. In fact, having a great or enlightened teacher can sometimes be a disadvantage. Uh, so luckily you do not have that disadvantage of me sitting here. Uh, the point is to find a teacher you can actually work with, a teacher who can actually help you. In these days of internet and long distance travel, many people have teachers whom they seldom see or maybe have never met. One way or another, we can find the help we need. That is the first of the, the three principal causes. The second principal cause is realize how important it is for you to tame your mind. Recognize that mind training is not optional, it is essential. Everything in your life depends on it. Your job, your family, your relationships, all depend on you maintaining a stable, buoyant, and kind mind. If your mind were to become dark and unstable, everything would fall apart and you would injure those around you. And here, finally, I'm getting to the point. The third principle cause is realize you have what you need. You are alive. You have consciousness. You live in a world with others. You have the motivation to live a good life. You have food to eat and a roof over your head. What else do you need? To practice this slogan is simply to recall all of this when you get grumpy or dissatisfied. Remember your community and teachers. Remember the importance of mind training. Remember that you have what you need to do it. So I have an activity and it will no doubt take some time to get set up for this, but, and you might actually want to take notes when I get to listing off the, uh, the seven factors again, if you have the, a pen and paper to do that. So I'm figuring about 20 minutes total, uh, but we have plenty of time in case it runs over. Uh, about 20 minutes total in small groups, however that gets distributed. Um, Sit for five minutes and each person consider whether you feel within yourself any or all of the factors of awakening, or if you don't feel them. Which, and the factors are, one, mindfulness. Uh, next, desire for investigation. Desire for investigation, literally, of dharmas, of everything that's in the world. Uh, next, energy. Next, joy. The next is tranquility, and the penultimate is concentration, and the last is equipoise. Oh, okay, and there's no wrong answer to any of them. If you have them or you don't have them, just note. Uh, it's just an investigation. Then, in the group, take two minutes for each person to share their perceptions, or if you don't want to share, you have two minutes of silence. Uh, and then use the rest of the time to talk about what you heard from your group, your group mates and what reactions you might have had. And, and maybe talk about the fact that all of us ha have what we need for awakening all the time.
Um, Gabriella has a question. Um, she want, would like us to um, talk a little bit more. What is ex equipose? Equipoise. Okay. Well, I, re I really jumped over that because it's yeah, not I easy had, for me. I had read the. Um, Equanimity is more like this perfect, peaceful state where equipose is just being in touch with things as they are. And it's it's literally balance. Yeah. So it's a it's right. a state of being balanced among all the other factors. Is that right, Ellen? Okay. Yeah, that sounded good to me. I was just getting ready to look it up on on Google. So um, for me, uh, that small group interaction was a powerful uh, illustration of the point that Norman Fisher makes about community, that we need to be able to talk to each other. That, and, the, and there was a quote about Ananda talking with the Buddha and saying, you know, bringing up the point about spiritual friendship. That, and, and Norman Fisher, situates teachers within community uh, and it's the community really that is important so i hope that there was something like that that emerged from the small group interaction and that can and that can emerge now uh, for if anyone wants to reflect on their experience and you thank you so much jisha So um, anybody have anything to share from the small group interaction? I'll share one thing that uh, I think it was Connie who said it, maybe it was Ellen, but uh, that these um, awakening factors are more about being than doing. Mm -hmm. And we talked early on Friday about how most of us <coughs> Sorry. Our ordinary kind of experiences between here and things that our senses perceive. Mm -hmm. This is this stuff going on in the other direction. Yeah, that's that's that, that was one of my takeaways. Yeah. Well, I, I, I is that Connie? Can I ask you? See that as a as in any way negative that they are as that descriptor that you know there should be more doing involved. No, it was just a, a, so the body thing was telling us what to do. Right. And, and what I notice when I get a list of things like that that I'm supposed to be noticing is that I, it's really hard to actually be in my body and notice anything. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about what I'm supposed to notice. <laughs> so the realization that none of those, those things that were on that list had anything to do with doing anything made me just drop down into my body and so what i realized about all the things on this list is they actually have a direction inside mm -hmm. I mean, if i can actually be curious mm -hmm. and mindful uh, then joy has 
kind of a, an upwardness. Mm -hmm. Energy has an upwardness, but peacefulness has a, a downwardness. So mm -hmm. the equipoise is the place in the middle that can look and see, is it is my energy up or is my energy down? And can I be, am I allowing one to like drag me out? Of, or can I just sit in the middle of the teeter-totter and go, oh, mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> I, I didn't see it as negative at all. It was just yeah. uh, a point to self that if I feel overwhelmed by a long list of things, which makes me feel like I should check them off, but not, um, mm -hmm. kind of let them go and, and sink back into my body. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That was similar to my experience. I, I thought, oh, I'm not going to remember all this. So I'll just list the seven things. So I'll just close my eyes and sit and then because I thought <coughs> the one I kept remembering was joy. And I thought, well, then I'm creating joy. I'm not just being in my body. I, I, I was like, or I will claim. And I actually have had this challenge through the entire intensive, right? It's like, am I intentionally supposed to be creating an experience? Or am I supposed to just experience what I'm experiencing? And then see if it relates to what we're talking to. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's been my inquiry each time. And I had that inquiry again with this last sitting. It kind of starts with, you know, Peg and Flinda have said from the beginning, this is not a self-improvement program. And the thing about a self-improvement program is it's things you do rather than things you are. Or things you have access to resources that you can draw on, right? As, a, as opposed to our, like, belonging to you. I find it easier to find that equipoise <clears throat> thing, even though we didn't actually define it. <laughs> um, if I, I, I've always had a hard time with the words in there, like, what, what is joy anyway? Or what, what is fresh anger? What is frustration? Mm -hmm. It's easier because society tells us that certain things are good and certain things are bad. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. there is a, like there's a bias towards you're supposed to be joyful, you're supposed to be energetic, you're supposed to be all these different things, mm -hmm. and then you can play with what what's the definition of that word and this language and this time and space mm -hmm. anyway. And it's easy for me to get stuck in my head for that. Mm -hmm. So I, again, if I sit down there, I don't have an automatically assignment of up. Energy is better than out energy is better than in energy is better than down energy. Mm -hmm. uh, I just I can sit there and just notice. Do I feel like I'm getting bigger or do I feel like I'm really not well grounded? Do, do mm -hmm. I feel kind of spacey? <laughs> um, <clears throat> and that helps me maintain a voice. Um, well. What happened was that uh, Gabriella and I were just the two of us in a, in a room. And basically I'd like to share that what we had was uh, a, a joy fest, a joy uh, it, 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 celebration uh, because both of us had felt that happening across the last, well, especially after, after yesterday, I did. I, I was like, it was, it was amazing. 
and and I, I I was just full of joy for that I had that I was able to come here that I was able to be fully here as much as I was uh, and real appreciation for a whole lot of the stuff and then you know just going through all of that but of course we started it by laughing because when we st- went to sit together that I said I said to her I'll hope to see you. <laughs> based on yesterday's impermanence lesson that we had during our last breakout group. (laughs) So um, I think we were just having huge appreciation both for the opportunity here, but huge appreciation that someone long ago figured out all of these details and big picture together in a way they were able to write it and that it not only makes makes sense, but it has made sense across this many, this much time. And and that's just one of the real things that is is why we why we celebrate and appreciate the ancestors is because that is what happens. So anyway. Every, every detail we came across was joy. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Well, in, in our group, I, I noticed what strides everyone has made in making it possible to integrate the online and in the Zendo folks and what a, a joy it has been. And when I think about the joy I've it's much more experiential. And uh, two or three years ago, I asked for this book called The Book of Joy, where this was based on a series of interviews between the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. And it's just, um, I when I reflected on these seven qualities, I found myself having sort of a sine wave on some of them, you know, down arrow on others and then an up arrow. But I, in terms of just putting it into these two and a half or three days, it's made me more desiring of learning more about the Dharma. So thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, so I would ask you to turn to page 30 in the chant book, if you have one in front of you. And I know that uh, Rosemary is gonna bring it up on screen. Uh, Rosemary, on page 30, we're gonna start at the second to last paragraph, so you might Scroll down to that part. Okay, it doesn't work out for us to um, to all read a paragraph. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and read, and please read along. <clears throat> and I'm going to skip the first three words. So I, here's Dogen writing. This is instructions for Zazen, and he is offering Zazen to everybody. These are instructions for Zazen for everyone. And he's living in a society where that's very unusual. Uh, And uh, normally lay people support the monks, uh, support uh, the institution uh, of the the, uh, monastery, but um, don't themselves engage in meditation. And that's still a pattern for a lot of Asian societies, I understand. uh, it, it, it's um, that was something different that that Dogen was offered. 
But on the other hand, he was offering this primarily to an audience of monks who are already at the apex of a lifetime of study. You know, they may be, most of them have been um, uh, living a monastic life with deep concentration on the Dharma for years. Um, and certainly he was coming at the subject from an apex. That is, so he, he begins by saying, Cease from practice based on intellectual understanding, pursuing words, and following after speech. And what he means is, just sit, don't pay attention to all this sutra study, which some other schools of, of uh, Buddhism say you have to do sutra study. So they just know he may be right, he may be wrong, but we're going to read what he says in that context, okay? Cease from practice based on intellectual understanding, pursuing words, and following after speech. <clears throat> and learn the backward step that turns your light inwardly to illuminate yourself. Body and mind of themselves will drop away and your original face will be manifest. If you want to attain suchness, you should practice suchness without delay. For Sanzen, or Sazen as we would call it, a quiet room is suitable. Eat and drink moderately. Cast aside all involvements and cease all affairs. Do not think good or bad. Do not administer pros and cons. Cease all the movements of the conscious mind, the gauging of all thoughts and views. Have no designs on becoming a Buddha. Sanzen has nothing whatever to do with sitting or lying down. At the site of your regular sitting. Wait, wait, wait. Yes. You want to say a few words? About, that's really a powerful line. Let's read it through and then go back. Okay. Okay. Sanzen has nothing to do, whatever, with sitting or lying down. At the site of your regular sitting, spread out thick matting and place a cushion above it. This is for people in this society, and <laughs> we don't have to take this as gospel. Sit either in the full lotus or half lotus position. In the full lotus position, you first place your right foot on your left thigh and your left foot on your right thigh. In the half lotus, you simply press your left foot against your right thigh. You should have your robes and belt loosely bound and arranged in order. Then place your right hand on your left leg and your left palm facing upward on your right palm, thumb tips touching. Thus, sit upright in correct bodily posture, neither inclining to the left nor to the right, either leaning forward or backward. Sure your ears are on a plane with your shoulders and your nose is in line with your navel. Place your tongue against the front roof of your mouth with teeth and lips both shut. Your eyes should always remain open and you should breathe gently through your nose. Once you have adjusted your posture, take a deep breath, inhale and exhale, rock your body right and left and steady and settle into a steady immobile sitting position. Think of non-thinking, of not thinking. How do you think of not thinking? Non-thinking. This in itself is the essential art of Zazen. 
The zazen I speak of is not learning meditation. It is simply the Dharma gate of repose and bliss, the practice realization of totally culminated enlightenment. It is the manifestation of ultimate reality. Traps and snares can never reach it. Once its heart is grasped, you are like the dragon gaining the water, like the tiger entering the mountain. For you must know that there in Zazen, the right Dharma is manifesting itself and that from the first dullness and distraction are stuck aside, struck aside. When you arise from sitting, move slowly and quietly, calmly and deliberately. Do not rise suddenly or abruptly. In surveying the past, we find that transcendence of both unenlightenment and enlightenment and dying while either sitting or standing have all depended entirely on the strength of Zazen. In addition, the bringing about of enlightenment by the opportunity provided by a finger, a banner, a needle, or a mallet, and the affecting of realization with the aid of a hosu, a fist, a staff, or a shout cannot be fully understood by discriminative thinking. Indeed, it cannot be fully known by the practicing or realizing of supernatural powers either. It must be deportment beyond hearing and seeing. Is it not a principle that is prior to knowledge and perceptions? This being the case, intelligence or lack of it does not matter. Between the dull and sharp-witted, there is no distinction. If you concentrate your efforts single-mindedly, that in itself is negotiating the way. Practice realization is naturally undefined. Going forward in practice is a matter of everydayness. In general, this world and other worlds as well, both in India and China, equally hold the Buddha seal and overall prevails the character of this school, which is simply devotion to sitting, total engagement in immobile sitting. Although it is said that there are as many minds as there are persons, still they all negotiate the way solely in Zazen. Why leave behind the seat that exists in your home and go aimlessly off to the dusty realms of other lands? You may make, if you make one mistake, misstep, you go astray from the way directly before you. You have gained the pivotal opportunity of human form. Do not use your time in vain. You are maintaining the essential working of the Buddha way. Who would take wasteful delight in the spark from the flintstone? Besides, form and substance are like the dew on the grass, destiny like the dart of lightning, emptied in an instant, vanished in a flash. Please, honored followers of Zen, long accustomed to groping for the elephant, do not be suspicious of the true dragon. Devote your energies to a way that directly indicates the absolute. Revere the person of complete attainment who is beyond all human agency. Gain accord with the enlightenment of the Buddhas. Succeed to the legitimate lineage of the ancestors, Samadhi. Constantly perform in such a manner, and you are assured of being a person such as they. Your treasure store will open of itself, and you will use it at will. So I want to just 
connect that last paragraph with something from the Satipatthana Sutra, where the Buddha, in his instructions, says, Practices for, practice these instructions for seven years, and you will attain the way. You will, in fact, go beyond the, the, our more mortal realm of existence, either right now or you won't come back in another life. And then he says, but it doesn't take seven years, actually. It doesn't take seven months. It doesn't take seven weeks. You can do it in seven days if you really give yourself to this practice. And here's Dogen saying, gain accord with the enlightenment of the Buddhas, succeed to the legitimate lineage of the ancestor Samadhi, that is awakening, constantly perform in such a manner, and you are assured of being a person such as they. Your treasure store will open of itself and you will use it at will. And I'm just making an association here, but what is a treasure store in this context? I'm thinking of the seven factors of awakening that we can, as human beings, in this life, right in this moment, have, have re, as resources available to us. <clears throat> Any other thoughts? Yes. Or, okay, yes. <laughs> Kim's got a question and a thought. Well, I really love that line, Zazen has nothing to do with sitting, and then he goes on explaining exactly how to do Zazen. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about, you know, I taught art all my life, and if I had taught, whenever I asked my colleagues, you know, do we teach art, we would, of course, say, no, not at all, it's impossible to teach art. So we teach people how to do things, but, you know, the, the, the real business is something that, that comes out. From within. Yeah. Now that you have that idea about dance, that what you learn is, is movement, but not dance in the You're not even sense. thinking when you're dancing if you've done the previous work, right? You can't balance on the point of a shoe if you haven't done the work to do that. <clears throat> but once you've done that, you don't even stop to think. It doesn't, the mind's not engaged in the way we usually think of it. You can really mess things up trying to teach yeah. entire things like, so, <laughs> you know, you do this and do this and do this. And it really has, it's not the, the thing. You see it with musicians too. Two people playing the same piece and you, of music and you hear heart in one and flow and just, and the other might be technically <clears throat> perfect, but it doesn't have that same energy. Yeah, there was a there's a wonderful Japanese artist who was actually a national treasure, uh, Munakata, and he would uh, people would bring him work to authenticate, and the way he knew that it was fake is if it was too good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> too technically good. Or is that what you're saying? Yeah, a better example of what he did than what he did. Got me? And, uh, and please raise your hand on screen if you have anything. So, um, with respect to this last paragraph, I think it was Viktor Frankl who said in, in more recent words that everything, everything can be taken away from you save one, and that is how you respond, how you receive the world around you. Mm -hmm. I think. I think that that's what I hear when I hear that we all have what we need, 
to live this life fully and well, despite all the things that happen around us that we mm -hmm. don't have any control. Mm -hmm. Let's go to South Sandy and then, okay? Uh, and closing circle at 10.30. Thank you very much. Thank you, this is wonderful for me. We are aware of the body in the sitting posture and we let the mind rest on the body just as the body rests on the cushion. And without losing this embodied presence of mindfulness, we will now proceed through all seven spokes in the wheel of Satipatthana meditation. Three body contemplations, contemplations of healing and mind, and two contemplations of dharmas, the hindrances and the awakening factors. But before that, we take a moment to formulate our intention. And having formulated our intention, we start with the anatomical parts, skin, from the head moving of a skeleton as a reminder 
the ultimate destiny of this body, of its fate to fall apart and with every inhalation we are aware this could be my last breath I cannot be sure and even if it is not my last breath it is certainly one breath closer to death Exhalation, we relax and let go, relax and let go. Feelings, pleasant feelings. Recognize when mindfulness is there 
and recognize when mindfulness is about to be lost. we keep observing the mind, at times with defilements, at times without defilements. We also keep noticing changing mind. Mind keeps changing all the time. And often enough, it keeps doing what we do not really want it to do. It goes to places where we do not really want to be. We are not in control, even in our own mind. And the same goes for body and feelings. Body, feeling, mind. Impermanent phenomena. And what is impermanent cannot yield lasting satisfaction. It is dukkha. Body, feeling, mind, dukkha. Ultimately unsatisfactory. And what is impermanent, dukkha, of a nature to change? Can be the self. Body, feeling, mind, empty phenomena. Empty <coughs> And we proceed to checking in for the hindrances. Let me see if any of these five hindrances is now manifesting on the surface level of the mind. Any sensual desire, anger, sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry, And if we find that any of these hindrances is manifesting, we explore their conditionality, understanding the causes that led to the arising of the hindrance and the causes and conditions that help us to emerge from it and to prevent its recurrence. And sooner or later the time comes, no hindrance is right now present in the mind. Although the roots of unwholesomeness are still present, on the surface level of the mind right now, no hindrance manifests. And we rejoice. Such a beautiful mind. Crystal clear like clear. 
not colored by sensuality, not boiling in anger, not overgrown by the algae of sloth and torpor, not tossed around by the winds of restlessness and worry, not muddied and darkened by doubt. Crystal clear quality of the mind. What a relief. As if having paid off a debt, having recovered from a disease, having been released from prison and slavery, having safely completed a dangerous journey. What a relief. And we rejoice. And with that joy present in our mind, we continue onwards to the cultivation of the awakening factors. This wholesome joy, how did it happen? What caused it to arise? We were practicing Satipatthana meditation, establishing mindfulness, and based on mindfulness established, we investigated, closely investigating this mind to see if any hindrance was there. And this was a sustained investigation. We had perseverance, we had energy. And then we aroused joy joy on finding that the mind was temporarily free from the hindrances. And this wholesome type of joy leads on naturally to tranquility of the mind. To the mind becoming Concentrated, collected, and becoming balanced, equipoise. These are the seven factors of awakening. They may be just tiny little buds, but however small or tiny they may be, every bud can grow into a flower. And anyone who has these awakening factors in the mind is capable of awakening.
capable of flowering into awakening. If we keep cultivating these qualities, mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equipoise, And having aroused these seven awakening factors based on the joy of seeing the mind free from the hindrances, we continue in the company of these awakening factors to move on into our open practice. Open awareness at any of the six sense doors whatever manifests, we are aware of it and at the same time aware of the condition of our own mind, of balancing these awakening factors. Mindfulness serves throughout as the foundation Whenever the mind becomes slightly sluggish, we give more emphasis to the three energizing awakening factors, investigation, energy, joy. And whenever the mind becomes slightly agitated, we give more importance to the three calming awakening factors, tranquility, concentration, equipoise. In this way, we maintain the awakening factors balanced, And we keep cultivating them by the very fact of our practice. Cultivating these jewels of the mind. Nurturing these tiny buds so that one day our mind will flower into awakening. And with open awareness of anything that happens at any of the six sense doors, we keep noticing impermanence, changing phenomena. Arising and passing away, arising and passing away. And as we keep cultivating these seven awakening factors in a mind
mind is secluded, secluded from the hindrances, we cultivate the response in the mind to impermanence, dispassion, allowing the flow of impermanence to wash away our passion, wash away our attachments, wash away our clingings. What passion for things that are anyway changing, what clinging, what attachment. Dispassion, Miraga. And the more we become dispassionate, the easier it is for us to be at ease with the ending of things. We keep noting in particular the disappearance aspect of phenomena. They are passing away. They are ending. They are ceasing. Cessation. Supreme release from all that is conditioned. 
letting go into Nibbana. Keep practicing like this.